preaching through the miracles of Jesus. How many of you have been enjoying that series? Amen. Been in here for close to 15 weeks. The Word of God is a treasure that never runs dry. Amen. Say, Pastor Rick, are you running out of sermons? No. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just because the Word is living, uh, the Holy Spirit continues to illuminate and bring new insight, multifaceted application of God's Word. In so many ways, the Word of God is fresh. It's not stale bread, amen? I mean, you know, stale bread is no good. If you're going to have the New York famous bacon, egg, and cheese, it's all about a good roll. Amen. Come on. So this is fresh bread from the Word because it's alive. We're in John 11. Uh, we've been preaching through the miracles of Jesus. This is part four of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, I'm going to start in probably verse 34 this morning and just uh, read the conclusion of this miracle. We've had four... Uh, you know, three sessions of setup here, uh, enjoying all the details. So let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your move in this place. We thank you that we were able to worship you and feel your presence. We trust that our hearts are prepared as good soil to drink in the word this morning. So, Father, allow the scripture to come alive to us. Allow it to leap off the pages and to, to stretch us and encourage us and to uh, educate us on things of the kingdom we ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. John 11, Lazarus raised from the dead, part 4, starting in verse 34. I'll start in 33. We'll get a bonus this morning. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Some translations say he groaned in the spirit. We're going to talk about the spiritual implications of groaning in the spirit. He was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in scripture. Jesus identifying with his humanity, identifying with us in loss. He weeps here at Lazarus's death. Verse 36. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Hmm. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. The King James says he stinketh. We're going to talk about that. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. An amazing miracle, one that will send shock waves of Jesus's uh, personhood throughout the region, a miracle that the Holy Spirit carefully set up 
exactly for that purpose. And here's the climax of it. Now, I want you to see as we jump into verse 34 and we finish this up, Mary uh, is the first one who get Martha is ministered to, then Mary, then Lazarus. Jesus takes time to minister to everyone individually. Aren't you glad that we serve an individual God? Amen. He's not like, oh, well, I got a note for Full Gospel Center. I got something to say to the, the church or this denomination. No, he'll speak to us individually. He'll spend time with us speaking to us individually if we'll spend time with him. First, he ministers to Martha, and he comes to her, and it's all the same. They're all going to say the same thing because it's where they're at emotionally. She's like, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That seems to be the common theme, that Jesus was late. Isn't it an amazing thing for creation to tell the creator that his timing was off? Look, I've been married for it's going to be 30 years soon enough, but this will be our 29th year. And we always accuse each other of who made who late. Now, all the husbands look nervous right now. It's going to be okay. The ushers will protect you if she jumps you on the way out the door. But people make people late. It's true. Understand that. But we can never say to God, you were late. Why? Because his timing is not, you know, we have no idea of what he's doing, his timing. We have no idea to say, you know, you should have did X, Y, and Z because, you know, we're playing checkers and he's playing chess. He's many moves ahead. But they're all saying the same thing. You were late. You weren't here on time. If you were here, you know, and the implication is you weren't here. We called to you. We have a relationship with you. And you didn't show up, and now he's dead. But Martha, she shares her emotion. But then she says to Jesus, even now I know that, you know, the Father will do whatever you ask. So, yeah, Lazarus is dead. But she lands in a place of great faith by saying, God will do whatever you ask him to do. That's an amazing thing. A lot of us get hurt, we get offended, we get disappointed, and, you know, we, we, we run away from God instead of to him, but we don't land in a place of faith. Martha lands in a place of great faith, and then Jesus reveals himself to her as the great I am. He reveals himself to her as God. Now, when he's done ministering to Martha, he ministers to Mary. Mary's next. Now, Mary was the one who had what we like to call a little bit of an attitude. Anybody ever have an attitude? Come on, you're dead this morning. Come on, start preaching back to me or I'm starting to throw water. Did anyone ever have an attitude? Amen. Now I hear some attitude. Some people are mad that I made you say something in church. But, you know, here's this attitude. Martha runs out to meet Jesus. Mary's like, I ain't running anywhere. He was late. Let's see if he likes it. If I'm late, I'll let him come to me. I called for him, and he didn't show up, and now my brother's dead, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, an attitude. And any way you spin it, the unvarnished truth is she didn't go out to meet Jesus because she was disappointed, she was upset, and she was frustrated. When she finally does get up, we looked at this, she gets up in such a huff that she, she creates a stir in the room. She gets up, man, I wish we had videotape of this. Maybe the chair fell over, you know, her tea went flying, the cat went, you know. And there she goes in a beeline to Jesus. So she gets there, and she's emotional. And this is where Jesus picks up. Now, Martha was more cerebral. You know, we're going to see she's that type A personality. Mary is the more emotional, the one explosive and raw. She brings her brokenness to Jesus, and she weeps. You know, not even Jesus knows what to do with a crying woman. 
and there she is coming unglued. And like, you know, the, for me as a husband, when my wife is weeping, like, I, you know, what, what, I mean, it's heartrending. And he's moved by it too. And, you know, basically he groans and he's troubled in his spirit and he's identifying with Mary. So he ministers to the first two, the sisters, and then it shifts to Lazarus. Now, he waits for Martha to come to him. He stays outside the, the town. He waits for Mary to come to him. He waits outside the town. But to Lazarus, he'll be waiting a long time because Lazarus is dead. And I want you to see that. He goes to Lazarus. You know, there are sometimes, Jesus knows whether he needs to wait for us to seek him out and humble ourselves, or if we're so broken and busted up that he has got to come to us. But either way, he's going to minister to us as individuals as he does to each one in this family. Notice, Jesus says in verse 34, where have they laid him? And, you know, he comes to Mar he has Martha and Mary come to him, but he is about to go to Lazarus. You know, sometimes... All it takes for us to experience the greatest miracles in life is for us to tell Jesus where we're at. When he said, where have they laid him? Basically, he's saying in the modern vernacular, where's he at? Where have you put him? Where is his corpse? He wants to know where Lazarus is at. Now, did Jesus being omniscient and omnipresent and all those things, did he know where Lazarus was at? Yeah, before they put him there, he knew where he was at. But he asked the question, for their benefit. You know, a lot of things that the Lord asks us or expresses, we're going to see even his prayer to the Lord here, is not for his benefit or for the Father's benefit. It's for our benefit. So they ask, he asks, where is he at? And, the, the, you know, Mary's like, well, I'll show you where he's at. And you know what? The thing is today, I feel the Holy Spirit asking the church, where are you at? I feel the Holy Spirit asking individuals, where are you at? And the answer to that question, whether we're honest and transparent with him or whether we pretend or cover up or ignore, the answer to that question is going to determine our fruitfulness in this season. Where are you at today? Are you beat up? Are you broken down? Are you worn out? Yeah, it sounds like it. Right? I mean, there's a lot of us who've been walking in a haze for the last year. As a preacher, I'm trying to get the dry bones to live, amen, to stir up some faith in us. Because though things have become unhinged around us, the, the heavens are solid, and God's throne is solid, and Jesus is still on the throne, amen? So where are you at this morning? Are you beat up? Are you broken down? Are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you out of the fight, or are you still in the race? Do you still have faith? Have you held on to the hem of his garment this morning? Where are you at? Mary hears the question, and in verse 35, she leads Jesus to Lazarus' tomb. Where's he at? I'll show you exactly where he's at. She leads him to the tomb. Now, when Jesus arrived, he weeps. Now, I don't know. It seems like in our day and age that it's more acceptable for every gender. How many of them are there now? I can't remember. For every gender to express emotions, right? You, you, even men are allowed to cry now. Is that right? Is that still... Yeah, bunch of crybabies out there. But Jesus weeps, and that's a very human thing as he expresses emotion here. Now, emotions are from God. We're allowed to express them in the right context. We're going to look at this. Jesus gets, you know, he's on his way. He wants to see where they've laid him. And when he arrives at the tomb, he begins to weep. Now, because 
you know, Jesus is fully God and fully man, he expressed the very human emotion of a pain that causes him to cry. Now, why is he crying? Why is he weeping? I'll tell you why. The first reason is because Lazarus is dead. And death is not just moving to us as people. It's moving to God. God is moved by death. Do you believe that this morning? Let's go to the videotape. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When we die at the moment of our death, when we make that crossover, God says, you know, he's not indifferent towards it. He's not disconnected from it. He's not, well, you deserved it. It's precious to him. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Listen to Ezekiel 33:11. Say to them as I live, Say the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the, that the wicked might turn from his way and live. Listen, God takes pleasure in the fact that we die and it's precious and we go to be with him, but he takes no pleasure in the fact that the wicked die without him. But either way, death is moving to God. And, and many times, you know, religious people will be like, well, God's indifferent. He, he doesn't have emotions and he doesn't know what we're going through. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is here showing himself to be moved. He, he's, he's crying. He's groaning in his spirit. We're going to talk about that. You say, why is Jesus said? Because Lazarus is dead. Now, death is the final result of sin running its course. The wages of sin are, amen. The wages of sin are death. And so Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus had fallen, you know, to death in the fact that, you know, sin had run its course in Lazarus' life and there was a grieving, there was a sense of loss there. Now Jesus is gonna go to the cross. He's gonna destroy death, hell, and the grave. He's gonna get the keys to the kingdom. He's gonna bring us to a resurrected eternity. But understand in this moment here, it's a sad moment. You and I have suffered a lot of losses in the last year. We've lost a lot of people close to us. Just this week, one of my close friends, John Deardita, who is a member here, uh, passed away from liver cancer. It hit him really hard and fast, and he went home to be with Jesus. But I want to tell you, it, it was a stirring thing to me to, you know, to, to watch my friend go into the next life. I've done countless funerals. I've been around death. I've been in hospital beds, have held people's hands as their spirits left their body. And every time, it still moves me. And you know what? It still moves Jesus. He feels our pain. He feels the loss. And here he weeps. He weeps because sin had run its course in Lazarus' life. He weeps because he knows that his friend had to taste the result of sin. Now, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet, but when he does, this is going to be the outcome of that. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> For the believer, death has no more sting. It has no more victory. It, 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 there's pain attached to it. There's loss attached to it. There's tears attached to it. But it is not the final outcome. Sin has been destroyed by the blood of the Lamb. And there is life after death forevermore. Come on. Praise God. In this moment, it's sad. And Jesus expresses his emotions. 
Now, verse 36 and 37, as we chronicle through here, gives us a snapshot of what the people thought about Jesus' tears. Remember, we talked about the peanut gallery. Everybody's got an opinion. We talked about the fact that the crowd is fickle. Some days they love you, and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, the next I crucify him. Give us Barabbas. That's social media. They like you one day. The next day, they're lambasting you. It's amazing. The, the wicked eat their own out there now. It's quiet now. Let's not talk about that. But here's a snapshot of what the people thought about Jesus' tears. Some of them said, oh, see how he loved him. You know, these are the people, they got good hearts. They see his emotion. They're moved by the fact that he's moved. And they're like, oh, See how he loved him. And what a great witness there, you know, that Jesus doing all these miracles, these signs and wonders, you know, uh, claiming to be the Messiah and, and being revealed as God. You know, he, he takes the time to identify uh, in loss and he takes the time to cry tears and it's moving to the people who watch. Yet uh, another portion of the group said, why didn't he keep this man from dying? Could not this man who does X, Y, and Z, couldn't he keep him from dying? Well, absolutely he could have kept him from dying. But we've got to die sometime. You don't want to stay here forever, do you? Amen? I want to get out of this body, and I want to get into a resurrected body. Amen? I want to get out of this sinful, wicked world, and I want to be in the presence of God. So, yeah, Jesus could have kept him, and Jesus is going to do a great miracle now. But, but listen to the cynicism of those people. It's the same heart that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law had when they hurled insults at Jesus and said, you healed everyone else. He saved everyone else. Save yourself. Wow. Always saying what God should do and how he should do it and questioning the authenticity of Jesus' presence. It's a mixed review, and I hope you're picking this up here today. I hope you're seeing that, you know what, if you rely on the crowd to get your sense of identity or your sense of well-being, you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time. The crowd is fickle. One day you're a hero, the next day you're a goat. You and I have to get our identity and we have to get our affirmation and we have to get our peace from God, amen? If God is happy with us, if we're pleasing to him, if he's smiling down on us and he's saying, well done, that, that's got to be enough for us. Forget about what they think about you at work. Forget about what social media, forget about how many likes you got on Facebook. Forget it. It's the crowd and they're fickle. And it's a chasing the wind to base our, our wellness, our identity, our peace on those things. Jesus is about to do something here that's going to blow everybody's mind. Some of them think, you know, he was late. Some of them think, oh, he, he was a lover and he just loved Lazarus and that's beautiful. And some of them want to question his timing and, and what was done here. And we're to learn from that. In verse 38, it's more of him, you know, weeping and groaning, the spiritual groaning. That's, uh, you know, some translations say he groaned and we're going to talk about that. What was Jesus doing? Yes, he was feeling his feelings, and that's okay. Whenever I do funerals, I encourage people to feel their feelings and to express emotions. Why? Because it brings a sense of closure. Jesus is 
you know, expressing these very human emotions here. He's feeling his feelings. But listen to me, more importantly than feeling his feelings, he's pushing past his feelings and he's tapping into spiritual power. You see, this is the point here. Jesus doesn't just get lathered up in his emotions and then it's over. No, he pushes through and that groaning in the spirit is him connecting with spiritual power. Why? Because he's about to bring resurrection life into the situation and completely change everything in the outcome. So feel your feelings, express your emotions, but don't stay there. Push through them. In Romans 8, talks about spiritual groaning here. Whenever we see something described in Scripture, uh, hermeneutics, the art of uh, interpreting Scripture, predicates that we go and find other places where it occurs. Here's Paul speaking about a groaning in the Spirit that unlocks spiritual power. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what to pray as we ought. This is where the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, that spirit to spirit connection kicks in he says uh, that but the spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered see that spiritual groaning gets the flesh out of the way so that we can have a spirit to spirit connection with god so we can hear truth did you ever notice when your emotions get lathered up it's hard to know what's right what's wrong what's up what's down amen when you're emotional don't make big decisions amen Here's Jesus, what? He's pushing past his emotions. He's groaning in the spirit, and then he's making this connection. Look, the flesh can get in the way a whole lot. That's why, you know, speaking in the spirit is such a powerful gift. It bypasses the flesh. That's why fasting and praying is such a powerful uh, spiritual weapon. Why? Because when you put your flesh down, your spirit gets more acute, and you can hear the things of God more easily. Amen? I don't know about you. All day, my flesh is going pizza, hot dogs, hamburgers, sandwich, <laughs> soda it, that all day long that's me i'm italian if i don't eat every 20 minutes i start to die so it, you know that flesh needs to be put down even jesus took time to put the flesh in its place to tap into spiritual power that's what that groaning's about he didn't and it's not that he had three chili dogs no he's groaning because he's pushing past his emotions and he's connecting with the father you and I need to express our emotions, but we need to put them in their place. Amen. Uh, more groaning, more praying. He's approaching the tomb. Now, of course, Jesus knew exactly where Lazarus was, what happened. He knew all this. He's making that spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection. He's pushing the flesh down, and he's drowning out all the confusion and distraction. Why? Because he's about to tap into a spiritual power that's going to bring resurrection life. Verse 39 and 40 is where it gets real. Uh, how, how many like it when it gets real? I, I'm tired of people talk and theories and, you know, that's one thing, you know, uh, that's one thing I like about certain sports, you know, when, you know, you can say all you want, but when you get on the field or you get in the boxing ring or whatever, it, now it's time to put up or shut up, amen? This is one of those moments here. A lot of people have theories. A lot of people have ideas. A lot of people have, you know, all this stuff. But Jesus is about to let, you know, all of this come to, to fruition. Why? Because he says to them, roll the stone away. Now, that's where the rubber hits the road right there. We can talk about resurrection power. We can talk about, you know, who Jesus is. But now he tells them to take the stone away. It's go time. Now, I want you to notice who resists. It's not Mary who had an attitude. It's Martha who had great faith. 
Jesus says, roll away the stone, and Martha says, no, he stinks. You know, he's been in there for four days, amen? I'll just get real with you. If I forget to put deodorant on in the morning, by lunchtime, I stinketh. Right? He stinketh, Lord. Yeah, we get it. But you know what? I want you to roll that stone away because I'm about to do something, and it's the thing you've been asking me to do since I got here. Notice, it's not Mary who resists Jesus. It's Martha. It's the one who Jesus revealed himself to. It's the one who had the great faith. It's the one who said, Lord, even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will do. It's kind of interesting to me. I would have thought it would have been Mary that would have said, no, 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 no. It's done. It's finished. Let's just weep and mourn. And No, it's Martha. And that, it speaks to us to he, today that Martha balks at having her beliefs put to the test. And the truth is, if we want to look down on Martha for even a millisecond, we have to look at ourselves because you know what? And many times, all of us are Marthas. We like to talk about faith. We like to talk about God. We like to talk about miracles. But when it comes down to it, we're a little bit uncomfortable about having our beliefs put to the test about standing in the gap, about, you know, doing what faith requires, amen? Sometimes faith requires you to walk out on the limb, to saw off the limb, and to believe God for the tree to fall and the limb to stay, amen? Faith is not logical or scientific or plausible all the time. It's beyond that. It's bigger than that. Yet Martha balks at having her beliefs put to the test. She shrinks back and you know, we're all like that at times because there's variables and there's possibilities and there's fears. And we think about miscalculations. Well, maybe I didn't hear God or maybe he did it for them, but he won't do it for me. Come on, this is where we live. The great missionary Hudson Taylor who evangelized China had his faith put to the test in a big way as he headed to the mission field to, to fulfill his calling. Hudson Taylor made the voyage to China on a sailing vessel. The sailboat neared the channel between Malayan Peninsula and the island of Sumatra. The missionaries heard an urgent knock on the door, and he's in his cabin, and he hears this knock, and he opens the door, and the captain of the ship is standing there. He said, Mr. Taylor, we have no wind. We are drifting toward an island where the people are both heathens and cannibals. How many know it just got real? You went from missions to being the main course. Mr. Taylor said, you know, we have no wind, we're drifting. He said, what can I do? I understand, said the captain, that you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. Wow, that's where it gets real, doesn't it? No more theories, no more theological mantras, no more doctrinal statements. It's where the rubber hits the road. Taylor, I want you to pray for wind. Captain, I'll pray for wind, but you must set the sail. The captain said, that's ridiculous. There even, isn't even a slight breeze. If I set the sail, the crew will think I'm crazy. Taylor insisted, I'll pray for wind, but you must set the sail. Everyone has a part to play in a miracle. Finally, the captain, with no other recourse, agreed to set the sail. He set the sail, and Taylor went to prayer. Within 45 minutes, there was a knock again on his door. The captain said to the missionary, you can stop praying now. We have more wind than we know what to do with. Sometimes we need to put our faith to the test. Sometimes we need to stand in the gap, and we put our faith in God and believe for God to do the miraculous on our behalf. The reason... 
that the doubts and the unbeliefs and the fears and the variables didn't matter in this moment when Jesus is standing before Lazarus's open tomb. The reason that none of that mattered is because Jesus was there and he initiated the actions. Listen, if Jesus is with us and he speaks to us clearly and tells us to do something, we shouldn't argue with him. How do you tell Jesus, I'll pray about it? Son, I'm calling you to do X, Y, and Z. I'll pray about it. What's to pray about? You just had the person that you're going to pray to tell you. I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. I'll fast. We, 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 we come up with all these excuses. But Jesus was there, and he initiated the action, and Mary and Martha really had no recourse but to be obedient. You know, if I decide, you know, I'm going to, the, you know, I'm going to Washington, D.C., and I'm going to build an altar there because there's a lot of wickedness going on in our nation, and I'm going to dig a trench around it and fill it with water, I'm going to pull an Elijah, and I'm going to call fire down from heaven. One of two things are going to happen. I'm either going to get handcuffed or put in a straitjacket or both. Why? Because unless God told me to specifically do that, I can't just pattern it after something that happened in Scripture and expect God to do that, amen? You and I need to let the Lord initiate things rather than being presumptuous about how we're going to handle spiritual situations. When he speaks, we must hear and we must obey. My sheep hear my voice, amen? We've got to be able to hear. In this case, it was real easy to hear. Jesus is standing right there. And he says, open it up. And she's like, no, we're not going to do that. And so there's this resistance there. Remember, the, through this whole miracle, there was resistance. There's always resistance to a miracle. Don't be shocked by it. Now, verse 40, again, is interesting in how, you know, she's interacting with Jesus here. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So, you know, please don't remove the stone. He's not going to smell good. You know, Martha, didn't I say to you, if you believe, and you did believe, and you made a profession of faith, that you would see the glory of God? So it's amazing how in situations in life, you and I always want to fill Jesus in on the details that he's missing. You ever notice that? It's, it's good that he has us, isn't it? That, because, you know, he's busy and he didn't get the report or his emails jammed up or the filter knocked out. And he doesn't know what's going on. Some of you are not laughing. You're scaring me. We're always filling him as if he didn't know, as if he wasn't omniscient, as if, you know, well, Lord, did you know this happened and that happened? And the doctor said this and I got this going on. And, uh, you know, uh, and we're filling him in as if he didn't know. He knows what's going on in your life. He's got the hairs of your head numbered. For some of us, that's less impressive, but he knows what's going on in our lives. Amen. He's like, oh, two. He got two. She wants to tell him, you know, uh, don't do this. You're not going to smell good. And Jesus is like, I told you if you'd believe, you know, he's been in there four days. I know in the natural what he'd smell like. I know in the natural his spirit is gone. I know in the natural it's beyond the point of, you know, a decomposing body that's in four days of decom. How can it even come back to life from a, you know, a scientific perspective? I know all these things, and I know all the natural things that you're telling me, Martha, but you missed something. We crossed over from the natural into the supernatural a little way back, and now I'm about to do a miracle. 
You and I need to entertain the supernatural, not just the, the natural, not just the carnal mind, not just what we see, not the sensual, but to believe that God can still step in and still do miracles for us, amen? We crossed over from the natural to the supernatural. And did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Well, they're all about to see the glory of God. Verse 41 through 42 chronicles an amazing moment. It's a precursor to, to Jesus doing the miracle here. He, he, he says this prayer to the Lord there again. It's not so, you know, he can square things away with the Father. They're on the same page. But listen to what he says. Uh, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he deals with her. Verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, notice that. He's not looking into the empty tomb. He's not looking at the crowd. He's not looking at the earth. He looks up. We want miracles? We've got to look up. Don't focus on the wrong things. He lifts up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus hits three things here, and he says it for the benefit of those around him. Three powerful points. Number one, Father, I know you heard me. You know what? You and I, who are children of God, who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, when we pray, God hears us. The problem is our flesh lies to us and tells us the only time God hears us is when he answers us immediately. Nothing could be further from the truth. He hears us. A mother knows when a baby's sleeping next to them, they hear every little coo, every little bump. Dad will sleep like a log, but not mama. Come on, right? Now, I know there's probably instances where this is not true, but for generally, listen, God hears every noise, every bump, every coo, every cry. He hears it. We sing Good, good father, do we believe that? Amen, he hears. And so Jesus said, I know you heard me. I know you always hear me. As children of God, we need to be motivated and encouraged by those statements. Why? Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. He hears everything. He hears every cry. He hears every prayer. He sees every tear. The Bible says he bottles up our tears. He's not aloof to us. He's not indifferent towards us. I know you heard me. I know you always hear me. But Jesus says it's, it's for the benefit of those around me. All of this has been orchestrated, uh, you know, for one reason, to touch people and to allow them to see who Jesus was. Miracles are manifested to provoke those who doubt into belief. Miracles are poured out to get the lost to come and to see that God is real. When the church figures out that miracles are not for entertainment, they're not for us to flex our spiritual power or prove who we are, if miracles are not to set up ministries or to affirm denominations, or miracles are for the lost to see them and to realize God's not dead, he's alive. I believe if the people of God would start to have that heart towards miracles, that they're not for our entertainment. Oh, let's put it on TV and let's you know, write a book and let's start a new denomination. God's tired of that. I believe we'd have more miracles in the West if we understood the purpose of them. They're to bring the lost in so that the unbeliever would now believe. Jesus said, I know you heard me. I know you always hear me. But for the benefit of these people, that they would know who I am, I'm saying these things. Verse 34, uh, uh, verse 43 and 44, two verses 
conclude the whole miracle here. Jesus makes two statements. The first one, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Notice, very simple, a simple command. You say, well, how could just, you know, Jesus uses the spoken word to make a simple command. Yeah, that's spiritual authority, amen? We don't need five-hour prayers. We don't need nine-hour sessions. We don't need to have a board meeting. We don't need to speak in King James when we pray it. All the religious people are mad. Yes, we do. It's you. Yeah. Jesus, very simply, Lazarus, come forth. Now, a lot of Bible teachers have almost jokingly said, good thing he said Lazarus because if he just said come forth, all the graves would have opened up. That's the kind of spiritual power Jesus has, amen? And the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in us, amen? The only thing that holds us back is our lack of faith. Lazarus, come forth, and he does come forth. Four days dead, four days into decomp, organs shut down, blood congealed, physiologically an impossibility. Yet here he comes. Could you imagine, could you, I, I always say I wish I had a picture Bible. When I was little, I had a picture Bible. I don't have a picture Bible now. I want to see the people's faces as this guy comes hopping out. You know, he's in the tomb, and they got to have heard some stirring. You know, they're all standing there looking into this tomb, and they hear something. Oh, here he comes hopping out. He's bound up. He's covered up, and, and, and he's alive. The spoken word brought the dead back to life. I want to tell you something this morning. When Jesus speaks, he brings dead things to life. You and I need Jesus to speak to some of the dead things in us. Because one word from him and they come back to life. The, those callings, those anointings, those giftings, those things that maybe the enemy has discouraged us, lied to us, short-circuited them. One word from the Lord and they come back to life. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Well, I was waiting for God. He's been waiting for you. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth, and he does. He comes back to life. When Jesus speaks, dead things come to life. Speak over us this morning, Lord Jesus. Speak over our hearts. Speak over our marriages. Speak over Full Gospel Center. Speak over this county. Speak over New York State. Speak over this nation. Speak over the nations, God. Bring dead things to life. The second thing he says is loose him and let him go. I love it. You say, well, you know, what's that all about? He's alive now. Yeah, he's alive, but he's all bound up. You see, when, <laughs> when they put you in the grave, they would anoint you with oils and all of these preparations. And, you know, and basically all of it was for to keep the stink down. And, you know, he's all bound up. He's wrapped up. He's covered up. He comes out. He's alive, but he's still bound. You know, and the, the application is this. Many of us come to God. We come to Christ. We, we come to church, and we're alive, but we're still bound. We're in Christ, and we love Jesus, and we believe in the cross, and we've accepted it, but we're still bound. And the thing is, we need to be loose from our grave clothes. You say, what are the grave clothes? They're the things from our past, the things from our flesh, the uncrucified parts of our lives, the, the things that we've allowed ourselves to think and to see and to do with our hands that need to be crucified. Those grave clothes need to come off. It's, possibly to be it's possible to be alive and still bound up. But he said, loose him 
and let him go. And that's the word of the Lord over us today. Where we're bound, where we're stuck, where we're in sin, where we're struggling, where, where the past is, is sucking us back. God is saying over the church, loose him and let him go. Father, more than anything, we desire that and we need it. God, that we would be free in Jesus, delivered from every remnant of the flesh. Although we understand we're always going to deal with sin and we're always going to have struggles and in this life we're going to have trouble, there's a peace that comes from you when we're completely surrendered and when we're freed from the bondage of sin and death. You didn't die on the cross so your people could walk around in bondage. You didn't die on the cross and raise from the grave so that we could be in grave clothes. We're free in Jesus. So bring freedom to us. Loose us and let us go. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, give him praise this morning.